what we're going to do today, if you've got a Bible, could you turn to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be carrying on with our series through the book of Ephesians, a letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus um, in, um, many years ago, but has much relevance to us as a church today. Now, I don't know if you remember when you were young, you were taught to cross the road at some point. I've got a two and a half year old, uh, my oldest son Levi, and we are kind of starting to instill in him kind of road sense, traffic sense, if you will. And I remember when I was kind of young and they taught us to cross the road, they had um, the Green Cross Code Man. Who remembers the Green Cross Code Man? Oh, yes. And he was famous for what? He was famous for not just being the Green Cross Road Man, but being Darth Vader in Star Wars. He actually was the man in the suit, David Prowse. He was the guy in the suit, not the voice you heard, but he was the dude inside the Darth Vader suit. Um, there, which probably didn't help for the Green Cross Code Man because maybe Darth Vader would scare you, don't cross the roads or I'll get you. But the Green Cross Code Man taught you to cross the road and he talked about stop, look, listen, think. That was what his thing, wasn't it? You, you walk carefully across the road. You have to stop, you have to kind of um, stop, look, you look, see anything um, and then you listen, any cars you maybe you can't see but you can hear and then you think about is it the right time to cross and you're crossing the road. And it was one of those things that was drummed into us um, Uh, as kids. And as we come to this passage today, Paul is talking about being careful how you walk. That's how he actually begins. He's talking about, you're going to walk in the Christian life. This is how I want you to walk, he's saying. And he uses that verb quite a lot in the book of Ephesians about describing our our walk with Jesus. Um, And he's saying, but I want you to do it carefully. I want you to think about it. And he gives some practical outworkings on that. Um, And so I'm just going to read the text um, to you today. And then we'll kind of unpack it and explain it. So if you've got a Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll start reading at verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. So the summary verse of that section is those first bit, be careful how you walk. That summarises what Paul's talked about walking about four or five times in the letter so far. So it's, a, it's an image he uses to describe our, our lives as Christians, as believers. And he's saying, um, and it's an active thing. It's not something you can do passively. You have to be about it. So just like you've got to walk. If you wanted to walk, you would have to stand up and start moving. It's an active thing. Um, but he also says take care, which means to take, pay close attention. It's something that is important. You've got to watch. It's something you've got to be precise about. Be very, very careful. Imagine walking on a narrow path. You've got to be careful where you place your feet so you don't slip. And he talks about three things that are careful in how we should walk. How, we, how, do we, how does this outwork itself? He says, talks about being wise with your time, being sure of God's will, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're the three things Paul talks about. What does it mean to walk carefully as a believer? Be wise with your time, be sure of God's will, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first one, be wise with your time. What he does is he contrasts, he contrasts wise with unwise. Wise with unwise. And as we've gone through the whole book of Ephesians, the wisdom of God 
is displayed as God's saving plan, which has been outlined in the beginning of the book, God's plan to bring humanity to himself before the foundation of the world. God, God decided to have a people who would come and be his. And, but there was a problem, there was our sin which separated us. God dealt with that in Christ through his death on the cross. And at the beginning of Ephesians we've seen that man, God has reconciled himself to man where there was separation. He's also reconciled us to one another. We have this one new man in the church where the church should be a representative of every culture, ethnicity, language, age, social background, educational background, etc., etc. It should be an expression, the fact that anyone can come to God no matter who they are or where they've come from. Um, actually, and the way to God is available to all and that is expressed in the church. And then the purpose of the church is then to just proclaim that message to the world, to live it out in our daily lives and actually let others know about it and see if they would like to respond and become part of God's people as well. So that is the wisdom of God. And Paul is saying we should live our lives like that, with that in mind. That is wise. What is unwise is to ignore that, is to turn our backs on that, is to say, actually, that's not, not what it's about. And Paul has contrasted a kind of the believers and what, they, what God has revealed to them with uh, the pagan community round about in Ephesus who are just living lives with no kind of direction or purpose in that sense. And God, he's saying, I want you to live a life according to that. And uh, the whole idea of the kind of the wise and the unwise is actually rooted in our Old Testament it says in the book of Proverbs that actually the beginning of wisdom is what? It's the fear of the Lord, having an awe and reverence of our creator, of God. And that's where wisdom becomes. When we know that we're created and God is above us and we're not the centre of the universe anymore, that is where wisdom, um, that's what wisdom is birthed out of, not making ourselves number one or our own intellectual capacities number one, but actually recognising that God is the one who's in charge and has created all things. And he's saying, okay, that is wisdom, but then he says the result of that is to make the best use of the time. Make the best use of your time. What that literally means is to buy back the time you have. Redeem is another word. Redeem just means to buy back. It was a word used to um, when slaves were brought out of slavery. To redeem a slave, you paid money and you bought the slave out and they were then free. That's that word redeem. And he's saying redeem the time, buy back the time. And the reality is time is the most precious commodity, I guess, on the planet. Because everyone has the same. And no matter whether you are the most richest and powerfulest man there is, think, you know, Bill Gates, presidents, prime ministers, very powerful men, lots of money, lots of resources, or you're the poorest individual living in a slum or having no home whatsoever, no food, you all have the same time. You've all got the same, and it, you cannot get more of it. It's still 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 365 and a bit days in a year, and everyone gets the same. And Paul is saying, what is wisdom is making the most of that time. Because you all have the same. And we live in a world where we are assaulted by wonderful ways to waste your time. There are, there are many of them. And even in the last... Even, it makes, I make myself sound older than I am, because I'm not up. But even in my lifetime, things have appeared on the scene which were unheard of 10, 15, 20 years ago. The internet. As wonderful it is, it is an immense time thief. Facebook... People find feel guilty now. Twitter, um, YouTube, smartphones, you know, all these kind of things. And I have one. Just, I want to just, let's be honest. I have an iPhone, not the iPhone 5, the old one. 
Um, and I've had that for about seven months now. And it's the first, I confess, it's the first contract phone I've ever owned. I've kind of resisted technology and thought, and I've done pay as you go for the last decade and a half and just, you know, not been interested. And then I got my hands on an iPhone. Oh, they're so shiny and they're so pretty. And I have checked Facebook and I've started tweeting on Twitter and YouTube and more than ever in the last seven months than my life before combined where I've had to actually go to a desktop machine and use it and stuff. And so I'm aware of, of this whole kind of what can take our time. And Paul is saying, what is wisdom is actually using your time wisely, redeeming that time. And, and I just want to make some suggestions here for us as a church. How do, we, how do we make the most of our time that God has given us? We have this overarching plan, which we've looked at in Ephesians, which we are part of. And then actually, okay, my time today, uh, tomorrow, throughout this week, how do we make the most of it? Redeem your commute. Most of us, if we have go to a job, paid employment, we have to get there somehow. And actually, you can redeem the time that it takes you to get from home to workplace, whatever it may be, and actually make use of that time. We have iPods and phones make it easy to listen to things. We can listen to worship music, enjoying praising God on the way. You can listen to the Bible on audio. You can listen to sermons on audio. You can read books if you're in a train. Obviously not when you're driving, but if you're in a train, on the bus, that, those kind of things. You can fill your time with positive things than redeeming it rather than kind of just necessarily sitting out the window, staring out the window for hour on end, there and back, weeks and months, run into each other. You can redeem the small windows I don't know about you, but you have a kind of a busy day, but you have windows in your day, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, which are just suddenly empty. You're waiting for something, waiting for a bus, waiting for a meeting, waiting for the kettle to boil, waiting for dinner to kind of cook in the oven. It's something, you have these funny little windows. You've got that 10 minutes for you, kind of, you're ready for bed, you're not going to go to sleep. What are you going to do with that time? Redeem them. Make positive use of them. I've got about four or five books on the go that I put in various parts of the house. You know, one's by my bed because it's an easy read because I know that I'm gonna, if I'm going to go to bed, I'm not going to be up for something really high-brow. So I put something slightly lower-brow there so I can read that. I've got books that I carry in my bag wherever I go, books on my desk that I read first thing in the morning when I'm kind of more alert. Well, actually, I'm not that alert first thing in the morning. Second thing in the morning when I'm a bit more alert, I might read something a bit more meaty. But actually, redeem the time in terms of actually reading, reading books that encourage our hearts about God and our, his call on our life and what he's done with us, about his church, about his purpose, about his mission. I would suggest when you watch the telly, turn it on for specific programs. How often do we find ourselves kind of just flicking, you know, kind of dribbling slightly, and you're just watching. We have got so many channels now. I remember when there were only three, and then Channel 4 started. I remember that, and then Channel 5 started, and now we have um, satellite cable, and we have, I don't know, the channels got up to like 900 on our one. They're not all filled, but they're just like, well, we've got capacity for quite a lot of channels. And I've, I've sat there flicking through all of them and found nothing to watch. And it's just like, oh no, what am I doing? And actually, let's, if you're going to watch telly, let's watch something specific, then turn it off, and you're not wasting all these hours of time. Um, and stuff. I find myself doing it with my little boy. He's um, two, he likes watching CBeebies, the most watched channel in our house now. And I'm sitting there watching Post and Pat with him, you know, or whatever. And then he suddenly, he gets bored of it, and he runs off to play with the cars... And I'm watching thinking, is he going to deliver that letter? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, just, I want to watch the end of this to know 
whether the letter gets and whether the cows get moved out of the road and you know, etc. etc. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? Redeem, um, redeem those small windows. Redeem unexpected opportunities. Things suddenly just come into our life. God brings things that are opportunities that show something of his grace, his mercy, are opportunities for us to show his love and mercy to others. And actually, those are things we redeem and we grab hold of. I was um, at a workout last week um, with a bunch of guys and I was walking out and we were doing the chit-chat with one of the, the guys there Oh, tough workout, oh yeah, we were talking about family. That kind of thing. And he just suddenly came out to me, he said, you know what, my back is killing me. Um, and I said, oh, no. And he said, yeah, I've got a back and a hip problem. I've been to see two specialists. I've paid, uh, privately, I've paid X amount of money and neither of them can tell me what's wrong. Um, and actually, one is saying one thing and one is saying the other thing, which seem to be in conflict with each other. One even said I might have a tumour and I'm like, mm, this isn't good news. And he's saying, I'm just, I'm just kind of at the end. I don't know what to do because I'm kind of having these problems and no one seems to be able to tell me what the answer was. And I just said, I'm presented with this opportunity. And as a Christian, what do I do? I think, well, I could just move on and say, oh, did you see the football game last night? Or I think, I'll take hold of this. And I said, I believe, I said to him, I said, I haven't told him this, that I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe God heals today. I believe, I believe in prayer as a power. Do you mind if I pray for you that what man's science can't sort out, God in his wisdom and his power could. He could heal you right now. And, I, and he said, all right. You know, I'm not sure how you kind of respond to that, but he did. He went, all right. And I said, Lord, would you please you know, heal this guy? Um, and I said, you know, his back, his hip is, is in pain. And then we kind of parted ways. We got to the car by then. And I don't know what happened with that, but I know that God loves him. God wants to impact his life. God wants good for him. God doesn't want him in pain and suffering like that. He wants... He wants um, positive things for him and to know his love and mercy. And I just thought, I'll take the opportunity and I'll pray for you. That's all I can do. For me, they're just words, but actually there's the power of God there that could minister to this guy. And I want, I want good things for him. And so I prayed that um, into his life. Um, make smart choices um, about life, about what you do. We all have diaries on our phone or in our bag or on our computer and I, I, I encourage you to look at your diary and make good choices. Redeem the time. Prioritise people. Prioritise people in your life. And actually, when you look at the, your diary, it's easy to find out what's important. You open up anyone's diary and say, what's important to you? You can just read it. If it's all work, all the time, all hours God's spending, well, work is the most important thing to you. And I encourage us as a people, as a church... I would submit to you, work, we have to do it, and it's fulfilling and good, but actually people are important. Let's prioritise people over everything else um, in what we do, and actually redeem that time by actually investing it in others, and actually building relationship with friends, with family, serving one another, etc. So let's prioritise people. Um, And it says, the reason I, it says, because the days are evil. It says at the end there, which is just just a point to say, actually, we live in a world where there, we do have an enemy. The Bible's clear about that. There is an enemy. He's the devil. He is subject to God. He is under God's authority. He is no match for God. It's not like dualism, like you know, the Star Wars, the good and the dark side of the force. Oh, I didn't know. God won. He's in charge. We have an enemy who's trying to disrupt things, but one day he will be completely defeated. Um, and the reality is, the church is there is an enemy out there. He's trying to just knock you off track. He wants you wasting your time, investing it in needless, worthless you know, fruitless pursuits. 
And actually, let's be aware of that. That's what being wise is, being aware of what's going on. So that was the first thing. Be wise. That's how you walk carefully. The next one, be sure of the Lord's will. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The foolish, again, is another concept um, like the wise and unwise. The foolish is um, the fool, or the foolish is a character we find in the New Testament that comes out in the wisdom literature, particularly Proverbs, and it describes the fool as this kind of this picture of what a fool looks like. They are careless, they lack understanding, they despise wisdom, they uh, refuse to acknowledge God, and they act presumptuously based on their own understanding. And uh, they are just—they're lazy and they're gluttons, and it describes a particularly kind of unsavoury sort of character. And it's basically saying, Paul is saying, don't live like that. Don't be foolish. You have been. The wisdom of God has been revealed to you in what God's plan is for the world, for people, for the church. And he's saying, don't go back to that way of life. Don't go back to thinking like that. He said, if we read, the, if you go back in Ephesians, we've looked at putting on a new set of clothes, the difference between darkness and light. And Paul has used these images to describe what it means to be a believer, to follow God. God has saved you, has revealed something to you, and actually let's not, let's not kind of just forget that and go off and do our own thing. There is um, an overarching plan of God that he has put in place. And it could be summed, I guess, in four words. You've got creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Creation, God created everything. The Bible begins that. In the beginning, God. It always starts with him. He created heavens and the earth, everything that is seen and unseen. God created. Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. Genesis 3, all goes very, very wrong. Man falls, man rebels, man sins. We don't want you to be God. We want to be God. God, you're dethroned. We're going to put ourselves on that throne. We're in charge. We're number one. That's Genesis 3. That's the fall. uh, uh, Sorry, what was it? creation, fall, reconciliation or redemption is the rest of the Bible. It is God's desire and plan to bring man to himself and restore that relationship. That is the heart of God, to restore relationship to his people. And the final part, the last chapter of the Bible, the last two chapters, is consummation, where everything is brought together under God and this old order has passed away and everything is set. And he's saying that... That is the overarching wisdom of God and you are to know that, to know God's will. Paul is pointing at not knowing God's will specifically in a given situation, should I have you know, pizza or curry tonight, Lord, for dinner. He's not talking about that, he's actually saying the overarching will of God, we are to know it and live life in it because if that is the overarching theme of history, of creation, we are to live life accordingly within that. And Paul has outlined that in the first three chapters of Ephesians and we've gone through that in minutiae. If you've missed any of that, it's on the website. You can listen to some of the, the sermons on that. Well, actually, this is what God's plan for us. This is what God's heart for us. We've been adopted. He is now our Father. We are His children. You know, we have a future that is secure. He is, he is building us into the church of all these people and tribes and groups. And this church now has a mission on the world, in the earth to do that. And we are to understand it, to know it, to gain insight in it. Because it says that, understand the will of, the, will of God. It's to learn about it, to to grow in it, to actually, actively pursue knowledge of it, not just think, oh yeah, we know it, move on, but actively pursue it. And um, we, are, we are told to, to get behind that, and it's to know the will of the Lord, the Lord referring to the Lord Jesus, what would Jesus have us do? Um, and it's, this is the overarching message of the Bible, and we are to understand it and know it. And so my suggestion to you, if, if any of that's kind of like mm, hazy, 
Go back and reread the first three chapters of Ephesians because it's just outlined there. One after the other. That's, Paul says, this is what we're to do. This is what you're to believe. This is what's happened. This is what God has done. So we are to be wise with our time, be sure of God's will in a kind of overarching sense because then our life sort of lines up with that. And then the third one there is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says at the end there, uh, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. The kind of the headline for that section is be filled with the Spirit. Now, it starts with a clear command. Do not get drunk with wine. Now, what Paul isn't saying... It's one, you can't drink. He doesn't say that. He's actually talking about drunkenness here. And also, for the, the Pharisees and legalists among us, wine is just an encompassing term. You could say, don't get drunk with wine. Well, fine. Spirits, beer, you know, cider, alcohol pops, I'll nail that stuff. No. Paul is saying, Paul is saying he's not saying there's nothing wrong with drinking, per se. What was Jesus' first miracle? Water into wine and an awful lot of it, and it was good quality wine, it was the best, the, the guy at the feast said, why have you saved the best till last? Everyone's drunk, no one can appreciate it. But actually, so Jesus was there, even at the Last Supper, when he instituted the, the, the Lord's Supper, the Communion, the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving, it was bread and wine. So he's, he's, not, he's not bashing against people who like to have a drink every so often, he's actually pointing to something bigger, it's drunkenness, and the reality is, drunkenness leads to so many other problems. You know, a bit too much wine, a bit too much drink, whatever it is, can lead to all sorts of problems. He sums it up just with that word debauchery. But it's kind of an all-encompassing term. There are so many things that happen kind of in life that are fueled by drink. You've got the drink driving, which leads to accidents, etc., etc., violence, aggression, you know, rape, abuse. All these things can find, sometimes find their origin in the fact that people have had too much to drink, which leads to, you know, you lose your inhibitions and it leads to all sorts of problems. And Paul is saying, actually, that's the issue. The issue is actually too much can lead you down dangerous paths that will damage you and damage others um, and destroy others. And it's kind of, it's linking back to some of the things he's talked about, about new ways of life and old ways of life. And he's saying, don't live like that. It's only going to cause you problems. The ultimate heart of Paul and the heart of God is actually, I want to protect you like you'd want to protect a child. I love having my son play, and I love playing with him, but I won't let him play in the road. Because it's dangerous. So you can play in the back garden where it's safe, and, and you can do all those things, but I want to protect you. And so that's what Paul's doing. But he's saying, don't do that. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled, be stimulated. And what he's talking about there, the, the way that the, um, you read the kind of commentaries and the, the Greek scholars tell you, that the sense of the verb there is not just be filled once, but it's a continual sense. It's you, you, filled and you, keep, you fill and you keep being filled. It doesn't quite come out in the English translation, but that's the point of it. And it's also a plural thing. It's not singular, I, it's we, it's the church. We, and Paul is writing to the church here in Ephesus, we are to be a people filled with the Spirit on a continual basis and we're going to unpack sort of what um, that looks like and so the old way of life stylized by drunkenness which leads to all kind of problems should actually be contrasted with a life that is um, filled with the spirit because like when you drink a lot it can kind of start to influence heavily your behavior and your outworking coordination goes judgment goes 
when you are filled um, with too much wine or whatever. He's actually saying, on the flip side, actually, is when you're filled with the Spirit, actually, you're, you, are, you are influenced into godly pursuits and godly behaviours, and actually, this is the way I'd want you to live. Um, it says, in a, when we look back at the beginning of chapter 5, be imitators of Jesus. And actually, being filled with the Spirit is what leads us uh, down that line. And you can also contrast it, um, I was reading around about this, and actually, alcohol is um, considered a depressant. I'm looking at the doctor's. It's classed as a depressant that actually you drink it and it can, it can have that effect on you. While actually being filled with the Spirit is the opposite, is a stimulant, is something that drives you forward, invigorates you, gives you joy, energy and life. And so Paul is kind of putting these two together as a contrast and saying, no, don't, don't do that. That is just going to lead you down bad path. Instead, be full of the Spirit, be positive and be full of God, Ima, imitate Christ. Too much of this will destroy you, but actually get God and move after it. And our examples, of course, are Jesus. In the Christian faith, it always comes back to him. When anyone asks you a question in church, the answer is always Jesus or God. Okay, because in a roundabout way, you're right. So anyone asks you anything, it's Jesus. Yeah, you know, if you're not sure, say that, and you're kind of roundabout, you're correct. And actually he's saying, so our example is Christ. If you read the Gospel of Luke, it's the Gospel of Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit. He begins his ministry, He's in the, the, the wilderness of 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and it says he came back in the power of the Spirit. What's the first thing he did? He started preaching in the synagogue. And he starts proclaiming um, that he is here, that he's going to proclaim good news, he's going to set captives free, he's going to help the poor, he's going to heal the sick. And then out of that comes his ministry of miracles and healing and serving and all those other things that he does. So Jesus is our is our model, as our example. But as we read on, you get to the book of Acts, the story of the church starting, being birthed. It began when the Holy Spirit fell on the church. They were full of the Spirit, came out, Peter stood up, he proclaimed. Um, 3,000 people responded. Yes, we want to be part of this, we want to be part of the church. They said to them, them, get baptised. They did. They became part of the church and the church grew um, as a result. And you see them, them feeding the poor, healing the sick proclaiming the good news and the church grew and multiplied to what it is today, a billion plus people um, around the world. And we are to be people who are full of the Spirit in a way that transforms us into the likeness of Jesus because he is our model, he is the one we are looking towards and more and more we want to become um, like him. And it says, what is the outworking? If you are full of the Spirit, what does it look like? Well, it says... Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. Singing is one of the results. Singing is one of the outcomes of being full of the Spirit. Now, just so we're all on the same page, I'm not a very good singer. In fact, I'm really not a good singer. They would never let me near microphones to sing because it would be painful and you would all run out screaming. Uh, my idea of good singing level music is so loud I can't hear myself sing and so I can belt it out and no one hears it um, and so I, I submit that to you but I can only say I love singing. I think it's fantastic to sing. I enjoy singing usually in private, in the car, on my own you know, with it cranked up so I can't hear myself. But singing is a, a, a powerful thing. And if you like, you know, because we sing a lot in church, people know that, but actually if you think about it, we sing a lot of places. Football matches. Now the songs might be slightly unsavoury, but they sing. They sing at the opposition, they sing at the referee, you know, praising his skill, you know, and how good he is at his job. You know, they sing at, they sing at the players, they sing all the time. You go to a concert, everyone's singing along with the songs. 
of the people playing. They want to kind of join in. We do, you know, weddings we sing at. We sing at funerals. What's the most popular song on the planet? Happy birthday. That's being sung today somewhere. You know, people love to sing at times of celebration. And so singing is very much part of who we are. And it's not even just a Western thing. It's a worldwide thing. People love to sing. Um, And the result of being filled with the Spirit is that we are a singing people, but actually the dynamic is we sing to God. That's what it is. Actually, we sing to God because it says you're making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's actually singing to God about praising Him, declaring His goodness, declaring what He's done in our life, and we're going to come on to it later, and we are going to sing our praises to God, and that is just a response of us being filled with the Spirit. We can sing about lots of things, but actually, we as Christians, as believers, choose to sing about Jesus, sing to Jesus. And another dynamic there, that verse actually has got two dynamics. It's got a horizontal... No, that's horizontal. It's got a vertical dynamic where we sing to God, but it's got a horizontal dynamic where it says one another, that we actually sing to one another. That as we declare the praises of God, we're declaring it to him so he knows... Well, he doesn't forgotten, but we're declaring that to God. But at the same time, we're declaring it to one another and building one another up. So singing is a fundamental part of the Christian kind of life of church, and it has been so since the beginning. You know, they sang in church. They sang praises. We've even looked at parts of Ephesians, which they believe were parts of hymns they sang back 2,000 years ago, kind of some of the original um, hymns. And so we are to be a singing people who praise God, because that is the outworking um, of being filled um, with the Spirit. And I encourage us to be a people who sing together, sing on our own, sing in the car, sing in the shower, sing in private, if you're like me. And actually, some of you bless people with your singing, some of you don't. You know, you know it, says, it says in the Bible, make a joyful noise to the Lord. People have pointed out to me that my noise sometimes isn't that joyful um, to them, but we are still called to sing and to make uh, melody. The second one, thankfulness. It says, um, Psalms, then spiritual song, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. I don't know how you describe our kind of culture um, in the UK now, but there are words you could use. Um, Cynical is one. We tend to be cynical. I think the Olympics came as a shock to the UK because it was actually really good. (laughs) It was not only good from a well-run event. The Team GB seemed to do very well and win lots of medals. There was a sense of kind of, of joy in the nation. Um, I found myself hooked watching it and they got carried over to the Paralympics. And I think there was also a note of surprise from people who were like, wow, it really is going well. And there was joy. But that's not, that, unfortunately, that's not the norm. Actually, we tend to be a cynical, sarcastic, negative moaning kind of society in a general kind of way. Not everyone and not all the time, but that is a general kind of British sort of um, way of approaching things. And I've experienced this in my life. Um, My first real experience of this was being a student. Has anyone been a student here at university? I mean, we were world-class moaners. We moaned about everything. We moaned about the lectures. We moaned about the lecturers. We moaned about the courses, our placements. We moaned about our housing. We, just, we moaned about each other. We moaned about moaning sometimes if we really run out of things to moan about. But we were just experts at moaning. We moaned about the grants. It was back in those days when you had grants. I suppose they don't they moan about not having grants now, tuition fees or something. But we moaned and we moaned. 
And I think it was, I partly thought it's because we had lots of time on our hands um, as students. So when I, when I got started working as a school teacher, um, I noticed it didn't change when we had less time on our hands. The staff room at lunchtime, the window of kind of, of oasis of calm in a day of chaos with kids was actually a place of like, we eat our lunch. But I just found us moaning as well. We moaned. We moaned about the kids, and we moaned about the parents, we moaned about the lessons, we moaned about the education secretary and the national curriculum, and blah, blah, blah. And it's still going on now, GCSEs, you know, O-levels, etc., etc. But uh, it's, it's a general kind of, sort of attitude of our nation can be this moaning thin. And what we find with any culture, when you are in it, you become it over a period of time. Because it's a cultural... Um, stream, a cultural trend and you can very quickly find it almost, you don't recognise, when you've been in it a while you just don't recognise it and here it's very clear it says giving thanks what's the next word? always what you mean, do you seriously mean always Paul? and I looked up the meaning of that word and guess what it means? always there is a constant and Paul is saying actually we should develop an attitude of thankfulness as believers, as the church, we should be the most thankful people. God has saved us. He has saved us from the consequences of our own sin, which is punishment, which is judgment. We all know that wrong should be punished, and before a holy God, sin should be punished. And we have been saved from that. We've been brought into a community called the church where we are reconciled to one another and the barriers that would normally separate us because we look different and we speak different and we're from different parts of the country and we went to different schools and universities and we've got funny accents are all being pushed aside and we are together as one people and we all stand level at the foot of the cross and we can enjoy that community together. There's no pretense there's no mask have to be worn. We can be honest. We can say, yeah, I've had a bad week. I'm angry about this. This isn't going well in my life. Help me. And we can celebrate and enjoy good things together. We have so much to be thankful about. Even if you took it from a really kind of um, materialistic Western way, we are the most privileged and richest people on the planet. None of us, I submit to you, have to worry about what we're going to... I mean, really worry about what we're going to have for lunch. We probably have to worry about, you know, do we roast the chicken or do we roast the beef? You know, that's a, you know there's some decisions that need to be made there. But actually, food, shelter, clothing, education, healthcare, employment, to a point, we don't have to worry about. We have so many things to be thankful for and their ultimate source is what? Remember that answer I said? What's the one answer you give in church? What's the ultimate source? Jesus, God, he is the provider of all things, the creator of all things. So we as a people are to be a thankful people. And I know we are, I, I don't, I'm not trying to beat you, I, I'm just trying to, let's, let's earth this in our hearts because we live in a culture where the air we breathe is a cynical, moaning, self-absorbed culture. And actually for us to, to come against that and try and live differently is hard work. And actually we are to be that thankful people to remind ourselves of what God has done for us, of of how we've been blessed so many ways. We are um, uh, we're trying to train our children in that. And we have um, every night before um, Levi and Ash go to bed, we do thanks. We say, okay, what are we going to thank God about? What's happened today? And we 
We're, Ash is far too small, but Levi, two and a half, he's, he's getting the idea now. What are you thankful for? What happened today? What do you want to say thank you for? Thank you, I went to the park. Thank you for my, you know, his friends he played with. It goes random sometimes. You know, thank you for biscuits and thank you for double-decker buses and you know, other stuff. But we're trying to just train him. Let's be a thankful people. Um, Christians are sometimes known as giving thanks at dinner, aren't they? Saying grace, which can get religious, but actually the essence of the heart is, God, you provided this food ultimately, and we just want to say thank you for that. And I encourage you to live a life of um, thankfulness um, for all and everything you have um, received. The final one there of what does it look like to be um, filled with the Spirit is submission to authority. Oh, now this one's another controversial one. Submission, submission. What about my rights? You know, that's our, the cry of our of our culture. But actually, the result of a spirit-filled life is submission to authority. And who's the ultimate authority? What's the answer? Jesus. We're getting back to that question. We ultimately live in reverence and humility to God, to Christ. And actually, that's the ultimate form of submission. That actually. We're not king anymore. We don't rule our life anymore. He does. He is the one who created us. He is the one who's in charge. He gets a say in how we live our life, what we do and don't do. And we are to live in that way, live with that kind of order that actually ultimately at the top is God. He is the one in charge. And we're to do it out of reverence. That's a strong word they use, out of a fear and reverence of an awe of a holy God of someone who is powerful, who has the authority, who is someone who is kind of mighty. And then actually when we dwell on that, we realise how big he is and how insignificant and tiny we are by comparison to the created universe that he made and holds in the palm of his hand. That should make us feel small. We know we're loved in it, but actually he is vast and beyond us. So there were three things there. There was be wise, be sure of God's will, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's do a little bit of application and we will stop. Bit of homework for you. I can't stop being a school teacher. Alright, first one. Application. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled on a daily basis. Pray every day that God would fill you with his Spirit. Make it part of your morning routine. Make it part of you know, what you do in the morning as you get up. You might spend a bit of time in prayer, a bit of time reading your Bible. You just pray. God fill me. If you are if you are kind of like, mm, what do I do there? Ask people. Ask people, how do you do it? How do you live your life? We're in a community together. Let's learn from one another. Ask Philip and Wendy how they do it. Ask John and George how they do it. Ask Joe how he does it, because I know they do it. And say, how do you fit it into your life that you are daily filled with the Spirit? Because that's what Paul's asked us to do. Be filled of the Spirit. In, um, next one, enjoy singing. Invest in a worship CD. I mean, I can recommend the Be Lifted High Bethel Music one as a good one. Put it on your iPod, put it in your car, put it on your um, CD player at home, if you have one, if you're that old school, um, and play it and crank it up and sing and praise God regularly. Make it part of kind of when you're doing the cooking, when you're doing the ironing, when you're in the car, when you're travelling somewhere, it's on your your earbuds in your iPod or something. Be a singing people all the time because it, it cultivates a heart and attitude where we're looking beyond ourselves um, as well. And like the last one, cultivate thankfulness to God. Make it a daily exercise. If you have children, train them to be thankful. 
to be thankful. It's, it's fascinating, actually. We've been trying to train Levi in please and thank you. And we decided to do please first. You know, when you ask for something, please, you know, please can I have, all this sort of thing. And do you know what? He hit it with modest success. But when we started to say, you know, now you say thank you when you've received, he nailed it straight away. He'll say thank you for everything. You know, it's just, I couldn't believe he struggled with please, but thank you, he has absolutely nailed to the point he's really actually cute. He'll do something and he's like, thank you, daddy. You know, it's brilliant. But actually, train your children to be a thankful people that actually we are thankful for so much. Make it a daily exercise. Do it over dinner. Getting your dinner. What are you thankful for today? Do it before you go to bed. Um, as you're getting to bed. Lord, this is what I'm thankful for today. Do it with your kids before their bedtime. And let's be a thankful people um, towards God and fight the culture of cynicism and moaning all the time. But actually be so thankful for all that God has done for us and all the wonderful things he's done. I'm going to end there. Amen.